0: First of all, give yourself a round of applause. You got out of bed this morning. It is really cold out there. Um, welcome to Aletheia Church. Uh, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, that's at least kind of going to be our launching point uh, this morning. And if this is your first uh, Sunday here or if this is your first Sunday back in a while since the holiday, let me just catch you up to speed really quick on where we are and uh, where where we're going and what we've been doing. Um, we are in the middle of our uh, values or vision series. We do this every couple of years here as a church. We call the series "We Are" as a Al- Aletheia, and the reason we do that is just to kind of um, for those of you guys that have been around at Aletheia for any extended period of time, we do it to remind you kind of of who we are and who God wants us to be and how we're living that out. And for those of you guys that are new, hopefully it'll be a nice introduction to you on uh, kind of what we believe God is doing in and among us as a, a people. And so two weeks ago, I preached on our first value, which is God's glory, about how all we say and do, we want to center that around making much of God. We don't gather here on Sunday morning or throughout the week for any other reason other than to make much of Jesus and to make his name known here in Gainesville and to the ends of the earth. Um, And last week, I preached on uh, the Bible and how uh, God's word Uh, both influences and informs everything we do as a church here from how we design and set up our leadership structures to uh, how we want our groups uh, to function, how we do mission here, uh, how we even set up things from a Sunday morning perspective perspective. From a liturgical standpoint, that God's word has the final say in all that we believe and do. And so this morning, we're arriving at our third value, which we've uh, labeled or we call gospel community. And uh, we're going to dive into that more here in just a second, but let me just go ahead and give you kind of how we defined this term and why we think it's unique and important to use the terminology that we do. So, Gospel communities intentionally strive to declare the excellencies of Christ and demonstrate the love of God in practical and sacrificial ways. An early example of this is recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and food. They shared all things in common, sold possessions, and distributed to people as they had need. They went to church together and praised God together. This descriptive text inspires us and lays a foundation that we can follow and adapt to our own unique time and place that God has assigned for us. Remembering that our community not only exists for those currently in our group, but also for those who are not in our group and may not know Jesus Christ. So, here's what I'm hoping to do today because normally, when you hear churches talk about community being a value or whatever else, they don't necessarily label it as gospel community, and there's an intentional reason why we do that here at Aletheia, but more so than that, I want to lay some foundations for us as we build up to that this morning. So I've got three points that we're going to unpack this morning. The first is just understanding God's design for community in the first place. Why do we gather? Why does God value that? The second thing that we're going to go over is understanding God's call to gospel community, that that it's not just something that God designed, but also understand that he calls and desires his people to be involved in this. And then the third thing we're going to look at is the uniqueness and the power of gospel community. So first two points are going to be the why, and then the third point is going to be the what and the how of why it's so important. So go ahead and look at 1 Peter chapter 2 with me, we're going to unpack um, this idea of God's design for community. But before we look at that, I want to ask a question. So raise, raise your hand if uh, you belong to one of the following, a fraternity or a sorority. Okay, got a few. All right. Uh, campus organization. Okay, more hands. Um, so an HOA. Worst community. Notice that they booed as they raised their hand. <laughs> Love that. Um, I would have booed as well. I'm, I'm in an HOA as well. Uh, country club. Sports team. Intramurals count. Okay. Ah, look, more hands went up. There we go. Okay. Uh, professional development or mentor group. Okay. Uh, CrossFit or gym group. Yeah, more, more hands going up. Okay. So wh- kind of what I want us to see is like there's, there's this idea that we have in our, our DNA as people where we crave community. We really do. It's actually even kind of a buzzword right now in our current cultural moment because th- there's something going on where we have never been more connected to other people than at any other point in human history, and yet the, the, the research is showing that we're still more fragmented and disconnected than we've ever been on a deeper level. So we have more surface-level connections than we've ever had, but we have fewer deeper connections than we've ever had in human history. And there there are all sorts of of reasons for that, but I, I think the fact that so many groups exist, I mean, if you just walk on the University of Florida campus on any given day, the number of groups that are vying for your attention outside of the rights union or on Turlington Plaza is insane. Even in this church, we have what are called common interest groups where people are practically begging you to hang out with them and do something with them. And and so there's this idea that, that I think all of us would know whether we would view the Bible as having some level of authority in our lives or not, that we, we need connections with other people. And there are some really, really good reasons for that. And that is because God, whether you believe in him or not, he exists and he created you, designed mankind for community. Turn over to Genesis chapter 1 with me. right? Very, very beginning of the, of the, the story of what God has done and, and what he's done in his people. Look at verses 26 and 27 with me. distinct things there, but the big one I want you to notice, and sometimes this goes missed if you don't look closely, as God is deciding to create mankind, he says, let us create man in our image. Anybody find that odd? Right, the the first thing you need to understand is because you as a human being are created in the image and likeness of God, your God is a community. The Trinity is a community. That the Father and the Son and the, and the Spirit exist as three distinct persons in one God. Now, if you want me to go deeper than that and have your mind explode, we can try that sometime. But the Bible teaches about the doctrine of the Trinity, meaning that God has been in community and fellowship with himself in eternity past, present, and future. It's simply who he is and how he exists. And therefore, to be made in the image and likeness of God is to need and be in community the way that God is with himself. Okay, not only that, but we turn over to Genesis chapter 2, right? We get the first uh, love story and marriage going on, right? Look at verse 18, starting in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said... It is not good that the man should be alone. Introverts, this means you as well. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Let me pause there for a minute. Two things being taught there. Animals are great. They can't be your community. Cat people. Dog people too, but cat people, like you wear it with a badge of honor. So, and like, I respect that out of you. And like, I love that you love your animal right but god has designed us for community and look at what happens next so the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the lord god had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man and then i love this part verse 23 is great like adam goes from like grunting And making names, he breaks out in poetry. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God has brought a helper suitable for him so that he might be in community. From the very beginning. And so we see that. Because we are created in the image and likeness of God, and God is a community, that we as human beings are designed for community. And not only that, God very early on created that community by creating Adam and Eve to live together in community. And then scripture also teaches that wisdom, which I would hope everyone in this room wants, is found in community. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 with me. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Meaning there is an importance of community and being intentional about who is in that community. Right? I use this verse with my son all the time, who's a sixth grader. Like, hey man, like you, you got in a little bit of trouble? Look at the company you're keeping. Matters deeply. Go on to one of every men's ministry's favorite verse in the entire world Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That there is this reality that the reason we hear people talk about and discuss Community, and the reason why there are so many different groups and organizations that exist out there that try to grab your attention is because God literally designed us to long for it. He literally designed us to long for deep, intimate connections with one another where we are known by others, loved by others, encouraged by others have a mutual exchange of friendship and encouragement and wisdom with one another, and therefore, it is not good to be alone. And I think one of the reasons why in our current moment that this is such a big deal is because so often we think that deep connection can come from behind a phone screen or a computer screen. And it can't. Because God designed it to be something much deeper than that. Because we are made in his image and God is a community, it means that we need that type of authentic, loving reality in our lives. And so I want to go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want us to see the language of what Peter is using here as he's writing to these churches who, in, in all honesty, are really struggling. See, the, the churches that Peter is writing to are experiencing a tremendous amount of uh, pressure, persecution, and to the, to the point where they're, they're questioning whether following God is worth it or not with what they're walking through. And look at what he says to them in verses 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, the, the language there that Peter uses is all community-based, right? He calls the, the people that he's writing to a chosen race and in, an entire group of people. And by the way, that it's, it's interesting that he calls them that because they're made up of different races and ethnic backgrounds. But he puts them underneath one community, the race of God. He calls them a royal priesthood, Meaning, not only are you a community of people, but you are kings in God's kingdom. That you are a part of God's royal family. That you are a holy nation. That you are a people, not just singular, but a people of his possession. And this is really, really important to understand because so much of the language that's thrown at us on a daily basis, at least in the U.S., is individualized. And the reason it's individualized is because oftentimes people are trying to stroke our ego to get us to buy something. My marketers in here know exactly what I'm talking about. They know that if we run after, right, self-actualization, self-fulfillment that they might be able to get you to buy their product. And God doesn't eliminate the idea of individual self-expression, but he says, no, the most important thing that, that matters it, as we live the Christian life, if you are a professing Christian here this morning, is that you are in deep, authentic community with God and with his people. I mean, he goes on to say in verse 11 that they are sojourners and exiles, meaning they're this family of community together and yet to the rest of the world, they don't belong to it. That there should be a reality that the world almost seems foreign to us as we go out in it. And the audience of this letter, as I said just a moment ago, was asking questions like, has God forsaken us? Does he still love us? Do we have a purpose any longer? Do we matter to him? And Peter's response to them is a resounding yes. See, Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus and his disciple here this morning, know this. You are part of a chosen people created for community. And as God's chosen people, collectively, we gather together in community to bring glory to God. When we talk about gospel community, if you wanted to distill that down, we should say it's the church. It's the church. The church, the body of Christ, is called to be gospel communities. And God's people gather in community because we were created for it and need it. Now, inevitably, when I start talking about this, and as you can tell, I'm passionate about it, gets me really excited. Inevitably, there's always pushback. And that pushback can take multiple different forms but one of the most common ones that I get asked is, well, yes, pastor, I see what you're saying about God designing us for community. I see that. But what about church hurt? And hear me on this. Church hurt is a very real thing. Ask any pastor. Pastors experience a ton of church hurt. And you sitting in this room this morning may have experienced church hurt at some point in time. I hear this question. What a... What about communities that I don't really feel like I connect with? Which is fair as well. right? We want to be around people we get along with. But even in the midst of that, and if those things are a reality for you, it doesn't dismiss the reality that if God designed you for community, even if bad things have happened in the past, we as followers of God by faith should seek to trust him and believe Through faith, that we need to be a part of gospel community. I I never understand the argument about how church hurt then causes someone to want to completely disengage from the church. If you got food poisoning from lunch, would you never eat lunch again? If you misspoke one time to somebody, would you stop speaking altogether ever again? And yet, for whatever reason, when it comes to being in the community of God's people, we quickly dismiss it if we're hurt by somebody. And let me just tell you this. If you haven't been hurt by somebody in church in your life yet, you probably will at some point. Because the idea of God's people coming together is that we're all broken messes, coming in the same way, desperately needing God's mercy and forgiveness. And we're there to remind and encourage one another of that daily. And so I want to press into these questions a little bit more to make sure that we realize even if church hurt or not connecting with community well or whatever is a a reality for us, it doesn't change the fact that God still designed us for community, but also that he called us to participate in community. Meaning God both designed us for it, but he also commands us to be a part of it. Go with me. Well, let me stop for this for a second. How many of you guys have ever heard this statement? I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. It's too full of hypocrites. How many of you ever said that? No hands, right? One or two, right? Those are the brave souls. You want to hang out with those people. They're a lot of fun. Right, or, or how many of you have heard this one? If my relationship with Jesus is personal, why do I need to be a part of church community? And that second question that I just said in particular is a good question. And the reason why I think it's such a good question is not because of the re- person that, think that, that asked it thinks they finally stumped me. Because it's a good question because it displays, in my opinion, an often overlooked aspect of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and the power of the gospel. See, holistically, right? if one understands the good news of what Christ has done or what we would call the gospel... One of the many barriers that I see in the lives of people is that we fail to realize the totality of what the good news of Jesus actually communicates to us. We are pretty good at knowing maybe some facts about Jesus or some some doctrinal truths, but oftentimes I notice that if you ask somebody to talk about what the gospel has done for them, what the good news of what Jesus Christ has has done for them, they'll say this, Well, I've been delivered and forgiven of my sin. And I would say, yes and amen. That is absolutely true that because of Jesus Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, you have been forgiven by God and are adopted into his family. But that is only one half of the gospel. See, the the truth of the gospel is that it communicates to God's people both what we have been delivered from, our sin, and rebellion towards God, but it also declares the good news of what God has done and delivered us to. I, I think we have this opinion that God saves us, and then we're a blank canvas to do with whatever we want with our lives. And the reality is that God saves you so that he can save you to himself and to his family. Look at Titus chapter 2 with me, right, to just see an example of this. Because even though we frequently miss this, the authors of Scripture are quick to point this out to us. Look at verse 14 of Titus chapter 2. He's talking about Jesus being our great hope and waiting for his appearing. And look at what he says. In talking about Jesus, he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see that? He both declares what Jesus has saved us from, right? He gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, right? This is personal, right? God has delivered me from my sin, right? The theological term for this would be penal substitutionary atonement, that that Jesus put himself in our place died on the cross for our sins and then was raised again three days later to prove, right, that he had done what God came to do, that he was God's son in the flesh and to prove that he had made a mockery or finally had become the victor over sin and death. And in that, it's often called the great exchange as Jesus takes your sin and rebellion if you are in Christ, he gives you his righteousness, The scripture teaches this idea and this is what and we are ultimately saved from what Jesus went through the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that those who are in Christ will not receive the wrath of God. That's what we're saved from. But look at this next part. Two purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Saved from the wrath of God to a people zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself to rescue and redeem us from the power of sin so that we might be placed to community for good works the church, gospel community. right? If that's not enough for you, turn over to Acts chapter 26 with me. A famous passage where the apostle Paul is sharing his testimony to King Agrippa. And as he's sharing the story, he relays exactly what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus, starting in verse 17 is where I want us to see. And Jesus is talking to Paul and giving him his mission and he says this, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this is Paul being given his mission by King Jesus and Jesus is saying, hey, as you declare the gospel, what you are declaring to the Gentiles is that they will receive forgiveness of sins, that's reconciliation from God, what they've been saved from, to a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. They'll be invited into God's chosen people. They're grafted in. And for many of us in this room this morning, that's our reality, right? Unless you are culturally or ethnically Jewish in here this morning, we've been grafted in. I mean, my ancestors were up in northern Europe worshiping a dude with a hammer who's now a Marvel hero. <laughs> and yet God and his grace and his mercy as the gospel has been declared to the nations, people have been called to him and they've been saved from their sin to God's family, because the gospel declares God has reconciled us to himself, and in doing so, God has created and included us in his family with a purpose. To put it another way, the gospel declares the good news of what God has done for us so that the good news can be declared what we're called to do as God's people together. Gathering together in community to advance the mission of Jesus. And practically, this, this can look a lot of different ways. It does. There's, there's so many expressions of the local church, some, some good, some not so good. Right? But as God's people gather together, what they're supposed to be doing is pastoring one another. You know, pastoring someone's not just left to full-time staff at a church body. We share in common with one another, meaning we share meals, we share wisdom, we share love and encouragement. We serve one another and we serve others around us together because we have a variety of gifts and when you bring those gifts together, they're more powerful. One of the things, if you, if you notice and have ever read the gospels, do you ever notice how Jesus always responds to the people he interacts with in just the right way? I mean, every time. Like some of us have personalities that can image or mirror certain aspects of Jesus' personality, but at other times not so much. So like, for example, me, right? Jesus at times is really prophetic and harsh with the Pharisees. And he just tells them like it is, right? And I see that aspect of Jesus and I'm like, I'm really good at that. Yes, I'm just like Jesus. And then, right, you guys know where this is going, Right? You see Jesus walk up to the Samaritan woman at the well who's been with multiple men, has committed adultery, and you see his compassion, and I'm like, ooh, that's a little harder for me. But some of you guys are super merciful and compassionate in here because you have a gift that way. And God brings his people together. So that in that variety of gifts and callings and personalities, as we do that together in unity, we bring the glory of God to the world around us and we give a picture of the fullness of who Christ actually is. If we had a church full of prophets, it would be the angriest place on the planet. If we had a church full of just merciful and compassionate people, there would be a lot of love and never any obedience or moving towards God's word. But when you bring those people together, guess what happens? You start getting a picture of the patience and the love and the long suffering of Christ that he has towards us as we do that with one another and with those that are not yet followers of Jesus. And in that, more people become reconciled to God for their sin and invited into the family of God. And so I want to finish up by looking at why gospel community is so different practically from any other type of community that you might seek out. Because, you know, our our lives are busier than they've ever been, or at least we claim they are. Right, whether we're at work a certain number of hours a week, we're at school a certain number of hours a week, we've got this club that we're a part of, we're at, uh, at this group that we have a part of. And so we have to be intentional about how we're going to spend our time and invest. And what I want to say to you is because God has designed you to be in gospel community and also calls you to be in gospel community by the mere fact that you're a believer. Notice that I didn't even go try to find commands about the importance of gathering together. We just went to the gospel. Like a a Christian that doesn't want to be a part of community doesn't, jive with God's message of reconciliation to the world and when we start living in community with one another the way God calls us to I think there's kind of four things we can see that God does amongst his people when that happens go back over to first Peter chapter two with me that's where we're going to start and look at verses 11 and 12 So the first thing we see here, if you you read those verses and see what's going on, gospel community provides accountability and encouragement in your life. And this is actually, it should make sense, but I know it's difficult for us, but most most of us are not strong enough to be accountable to just ourselves. How many of you guys had New Year's resolutions this year? Okay, a few of you. How many of you have already broken those resolutions? It's got dark. Right on. Here we go. <laughs> Doing a rave up here today. It's what happens when Florida heat systems are not meant to be on. The power just flips out. Gospel community is designed to know that we are not strong enough on our own to walk with integrity and intentionality towards God. And so it's designed to provide accountability and encouragement to us. I mean, look, look at just how he opens up there in verse 11. Right? He says, beloved, right? he's like, I love you guys and you're loved by God. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He's like, look, man, to to follow Jesus is a battle. You're going into battle to walk with Jesus because, and he uses this language, if you are a Christian, here's something you need to understand about living in the world. And I'm not talking about just in the United States. I'm talking about the world globally. The world is set up to be against Jesus and his reign. Meaning, if you are a part of the kingdom of God, you are a sojourner and an exile in this land. And the church is a necessary place where we go for accountability, encouragement, to be exhorted when we need to be exhorted, to be encouraged when we need to be encouraged. Because Outside of the body of Christ, this place is not our home. It's not. You ever found yourself watching the news and being like, this stinks? It does. It's not home. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And God is reconciling all things to himself in Christ, but has not yet returned. And as we long for that return, we encourage one another to stand firm and wait. And as he says this, he's like, look, as as we are sojourners and exiles, you need to understand that sin will rob us of joy in our creator and living out our purposes. He encourages them to abstain from the passions of the flesh and instead enjoy the the fullness of what obedience to Christ can bring. And the church is the place where that opportunity to be authentic and transparent exists. Look, in the rest of the world, if you make a mistake, you can be canceled. You can lose a job. You can lose friends. You can lose family. In the church... You can be called out for that mistake and yet still accepted and loved because we're all in the same boat. And if not for Jesus, all of us would be canceled. The church is the only place you can go to where there is a surface and foundational level understanding of we're all messed up here. We're all in need of God's grace, and we're all forgiven. Thank God for Jesus. Let's do this together. And I don't know if this is obvious or not, but if that's a reality, it's going to be messy sometimes. It's going to get a little weird at times. It's going to get a little uncomfortable sometimes because you might show up and you might be struggling with something and someone's going to see that in you and they're going to say something about it. But believe it or not, I'm of the opinion that most people don't wake up in the morning like really excited to call other people out on their stuff. If that's you, might need some counseling, I don't know. But we commit to doing that with one another because it's what God has promised is for our good and for his glory. As the church is all on the same page showing grace to one another and encouraging one another. And So gospel community is better than any other community because it provides a place for accountability and encouragement as we grow in our walk with Christ. And then turn over to Acts chapter two. That's where we're gonna finish the rest of our time this morning. Looking at three more ways in which gospel community is better than any other community. Look at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Right? So not only does gospel community provide an opportunity for accountability and encouragement, it also provides greater knowledge of God. Early Christians gathered together regularly to be reminded of who God really is and what he has done for them in Jesus Christ. And we do the same because we are quick to forget the truth. And so we gather together to grow in the truth and the reminder, hey, Jesus really did die. Hey, Jesus really did raise again. Jesus really is at the right hand of God in heaven. Right now, as I talk, ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father. And because all of that is true, his death on the cross and resurrection is sufficient to forgive us for every sin, past, present, and future. And we gather together to remember that. Because all of us have this tendency to view the gospel as an entry point of forgiveness into relationship with God, but then we turn it into our own performance afterwards. And the church is designed to be the place in which God reminds us regularly it's all about Jesus and what he's done for us. And when you can't see that you're not all about that, the people of God gather to provide that knowledge for you and encourage you. Look at what else they do. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now let me just pause really quick. I'm not trying to get political, but this, is, this passage right here is always used to support communism or socialism, so let me just say this. Um, that is not what this passage is teething, teaching because these people willingly submitted themselves to this. We're not forced to do so by a government or system entity. So if, so if you believe that, I'm not, if you're communist in here, or socialist, I don't really care. I'm a monarchist. <laughs> I live in a republic democracy, but I, I'm actually a monarchist. I just happen to be underneath the greatest king ever. But I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just saying for, for teaching purposes, which I just said is something we're supposed to do. This is not supporting that. Now, it's also not an excuse to do anything else, but it's, I'm just saying, these people willingly submitted themselves to this because here's the thing gospel community provides for one another in times of need. This is the beauty of the church. They band together with their resources in order to help one another so that they might tangibly live out the reality of God's provision for them. Because God had called them to live generously and sacrificially towards others, the coming together and the pooling of those resources allows them to do this because they could do more corporately than they could do individually. And, and this happens practically all the time, but let me just share with you the story of the early days of this church. I remember when my wife and I arrived here, it was really, really hard. We were much smaller. Most everyone that attended that church was just college students. And so there were times where Jackie and I felt like we were on an island. Like it was just us and there was nothing going on. And then when our youngest son was born and he began having epileptic seizures from day one and we were in the hospital, this church surrounded for us, provided for us, cared for us. And I can tell you what we felt during that season, the tangible love of God knowing that he still cared for us and loved us. We had people bringing us meals. We had people watching our kids. We had people taking care of administrative duties. We had people doing things in our house for us. It wasn't just money. It was time, talents, treasures being used to service. And I've seen you guys do that time and time and time again. And look, if you watch the news, the church gets a bad rap. I'm here to tell you, Christians are the absolute most charitable people in the world they are there's no one like them and it's because we gather together believing that the way we serve one another love one another and serve others is a tangible expression on a small level of the grandness of God's love and service towards us And when you are in gospel community, you get to both be a part of that and the joy that it is to do it and experience it from others. And then lastly, look at verses 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the last thing you see there. Gospel community provides a united opportunity for mission. It says they were gathering together day by day, attending the temple, sharing food together, so showing hospitality, praising God together, reminding the goodness of one another, the goodness of who God is and who he is. And then look at these last two parts. They had a good reputation in the community, and God added to their numbers day by day. Those who are being saved. The same way God saved you and transformed you, if you are here this morning and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, He wants to do the same to others through you and through your church family around you. This is the power of the gospel. Not just that you've been saved from sin, which you have, but saved to the people of God so that you might, through mutual encouragement, serve one another and serve with one another to declare the excellencies of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And guys, the church has been doing this for thousands of years with or without government support. And as Jesus promises to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I always love, like every couple of years, Barna or someone else will release a study decrying the problems of the church in America and how it's shrinking and how there's all sorts of problems. And here's what I'll say. Friends, the, the visible church might be shrinking, but the church is not. It is advancing, it is moving forward, and you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, are called into that mission. Not solo, but collectively with the people of God. Here at Aletheia we seek to be a community, not just because we need or want to be around other people, but to glorify God, to remind one another of what he has done for us, and to lead other people to him, to know the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done through serving and preaching the good news. We do that to the best of our ability, by seeking to be united in clarity over a sincere love for God and a sincere love for people. And we gather, both as we are called, but also as an opportunity to pursue accountability together, to pursue knowledge together, to provide for one another, and to be on mission together for the glory of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, Here this morning, we are part of a movement and family bigger than anything else the world has to offer. I mean, I want you to think about this. This morning, millions of people have already gotten up and gathered together to worship Jesus, and people are still planning to gather and worship him later today. All around the globe, to celebrate the truth of who God is, what he has done, who his son really is, and what he has done for us, and to partner in his mission.